Welcome everyone to episode 168 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to reflect on Liverpool's 3-2 defeat to Toulouse in the Europa League. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool's 100% record in the Europa League group stages is over. They've lost a way to Toulouse. They went 2-0 down after goals from Aaron Donham and Tice Delinga. They then halved the deficit after a Christian Castellar's own goal, which was a little bit sort of article, to be fair, the way that went in. But it was only two minutes later that Toulouse restored their two-goal advantage. Diogo Jota then gave Liverpool a chance in the 89th minute, scoring off the bench. And Liverpool thought they'd actually managed to get an equalised with virtually the last kick of the game when Jarrell Kwanzaa scored. It would have been his first goal for the club, but it was obviously disallowed by VAR. And we will get into that um, in a second. But the main point, I suppose, that Liverpool are still well-placed in this group. This defeat in isolation shouldn't matter too much. Victory over Lask at Anfield in the next game would seal progression to the knockout stages. And if Toulouse fail to beat Union SG at home in their match, then Liverpool will not only qualify, but qualify as group winners. So it might not matter all that much, but still a concerning performance overall, you would have to say. So, Chris, three-word match review from you, please as usual, and also your verdict on that disallowed goal at the end for the handball approximately 35 minutes before the goal was scored from Alexis McAllister. <laughs> and then some. I think my three-way match review, I'm looking at the last week in general, not just the game. I'm going to, it might sound controversial to some people, but I'm going to go with dose of reality because I think this last week has highlighted there are still limitations to this Liverpool squad, despite a very promising start of the season, despite being well-placed in both the Premier League and the Europa League and being through to the cup of the EFL Cup. I think the draw at Luton and, and last night's result and performance against Toulouse, I do think it kind of just reminds everybody that there is still a lot of work to do. For this Liverpool team. Not that I thought anybody doubted that as such, but I just think that it's a real kind of, as I say, reminder of the extent of the work that needs to be done. And and we'll talk about the disallowed goal now, but it, it shouldn't sugarcoat the fact that there was a lot of poor displays last night as well. But that disallowed goal, it's funny because I was talking to my uncle about this, talking to a few friends. I don't really know how much to say on it because everybody agrees. So it's controversial in that the only people that didn't agree with it were the people that mattered because everybody else could see. I had one of my mates said to me, he wouldn't have minded the goal being disallowed if it had been scored in the same week as the incident that they referred to. But when Kwanzaa scores... I didn't really flinch because in the build-up, I, I saw the incident that they referred to. And when it falls to Conte and he scores, my first reaction was, they're going to go back to that. And it, it, even though there were literally two phases after that incident, the fact that in the back of my head, I thought, they're just going to go back to this. It, 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 it pains me as someone who tries to support VAR as a system as much as physically possible, and I will try, and I will still try to do that. But this wasn't the officials; this was the system, really. And it, 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 it maybe a maybe a combination of both, I guess. Actually, 
just the fact that they thought there was that was close enough to the goal, and it wasn't because you talk about then phases, and there were phases for Toulouse to get rid of this ball, and they didn't do it, and that's that's their fault. So it was far too far back, and even then, you wait for official website saying that only the player that scores all rules should have should apply to, not something as we say ten seconds back or in midfield or anything like that. So. Having just said, I don't know how much to say on it. I do realise I've then just gone on and had a bit of a mini rant and said a fair bit about it. But again, it shouldn't, it shouldn't sugarcoat what went wrong last night. But it still leaves a bit of a bitter taste because I don't think any of us really understand the handball rule now. And I don't even know if officials do at this point. Yeah, I think um, I, I looked on. Dale Johnson's Twitter account because he's obviously the big authority when when it comes to VAR related matters and he says that under the UEFA rules goals are disallowed for handball in any um, any handball in an attacking phase so I suppose from that standpoint um, trusting him obviously as the authority on it letter of, of their laws it is is a correct call to rule it out he points out that there's so many things wrong with it including that the arms close to the body and um, not move towards the ball high on the arm not deliberate and way back in play. I mean, taking a the, touch, taking yeah. a touch off his chest. That's obviously, the crux of why we're so kind of frustrated about it. Um, and I think handball it just it lies at the heart of the issues with VAR for me. Um, yeah. I am I'm pro VAR. I've been pro VAR since day one. I think when you look at other sports technology used for kind of efficient decisions as a force for good. I don't think there's anything about football inherently that means that it can't be the same um, in our in our game. But I think handball needs to be completely reevaluated in terms of the rules around it. And that applies to um, defensive handballs as well. The kind that we saw two penalties for in the game with uh, Manchester United the other day, where I thought the penalty that United received to, to go 3-2 up in the game was absolutely nonsensical. Again, the rules say that that's the right call, but the, the rules themselves are so deeply flawed, to be honest, and they're written without any sort of regard for how the game is actually played. And I think, again, with the McAllister one, like the bar for what constitutes a handball for me needs to be higher drastically. And I think that should be sort of step one with the wider issue around VAR. I think Jamie Carrick has written a column today calling for VAR to be scrapped aside from goal line technology and um, semi-automated offside. I'm personally against that. But I think one of the big things that is driving... I mean, obviously, the the amount of red cards people don't like as well. But for me, the biggest driver probably of this sort of wave of... Fresh wave of get rid of VAR discourse is these handball decisions. And that, for me, stems from the rules, which just need to be completely rewritten. Well, you look at the one at the weekend as well with Barkley. And again, I think that would have been immensely harsh. But under the rules we're seeing, is that was it not unnatural? Was it not? I know he wasn't looking at the ball. So again, it would have been immensely harsh. But he wasn't looking at the ball. You know, sorry, his arm was away from his body. It was. It, it did stop the ball traveling again. Would that would that have been given anyway for competition? So we're just asking so many questions here, and it's the fact that again, to your point being revisited, the VAR creates more questions than it answers. 
which is the big problem for people like me and you that try to support its use as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. And um, just to bring it back to to my three-word match review, I've gone with completely deserved defeat because I don't think, like you said, Chris, we can kind of use this decision to hide the fact that Liverpool were absolutely awful in this game. It was following up the game against Luton, they managed to play even worse. It was definitely their worst performance this season. Um, They looked disengaged. They were sort of beaten in absolutely every department by this Toulouse team, to be honest. A Toulouse team, by the way, who are currently um, in 14th out of 18 teams in Ligue 1. They're one point above the relegation places. Their squad cost £20 million, um, give or take. And they lost at the weekend at home to a newly promoted side. So, you know, changes or no changes. Um, really, really bad night for Liverpool. And for it to come hot on the heels of the game against Luton is obviously a concern. And we'll, we'll come into that in a second. But but just to dwell on the actual problems in, in that performance themselves, Chris. I mean, Jürgen Klopp said after the game that Liverpool's biggest problem was their failure to win the defensive duels. Would you agree with that? Or do you think there was something else that was a bigger issue? Oh, that was a massive factor. Massive factor. Um, again, I don't know how much you want to really kind of delve into individuals. But I think any chance that Wattardi Wendu had of Endo had of starting against Brentford has just completely been flushed away, really. I know he doesn't play regularly, and I know that can hamper a player at times when he has been used to playing so regularly for Stuttgart. But he just looked so off the pace last night. And again, we're talking about a decision that went against Liverpool. Toulouse can feel very hard done by. They weren't playing against 10 men for a large period of that game for two reasons. If the Rashford one was a red card on Tuesday, you have to kind of feel the first endo challenge was a red card yesterday as well. Um, I don't know if I've just said yesterday twice, but United definitely played on Tuesday. And then, I mean, how, how any referee yellow card for that third challenge I haven't got a clue and it was the most obvious substitution in the world that Endo was going to get replaced at half time and that is an issue in that he was the sole number six that got brought in but I saw Steve Hall say and correctly so that Endo's performance is why McAllister has been playing at number six but that isn't an option on Saturday that is an option on Sunday but I can now see Gravenberg being dropped into the six, which I don't want. I could see maybe Alexander-Arnold playing at six and Gomez at right back. But then if we talk about another individual, does Costa Simicast deserve to start on Sunday? <laughs> Not for me, he doesn't. And we we had a brief discussion about Costa Simicast and the likelihood of him playing against Manchester City now. I think, again, I think it's absolutely nailed on. Joe Gomez plays at left-back after the international break against Manchester City because Simicast has always been, I thought, a really solid understudy to Andy Robertson. This run of games that he's come in for, I don't know. I, I don't know this cost as Simicast. He looks nervous on the ball. He looks just short of ideas. His crossing has been so off what it used to be. Um, obviously, it goes without saying it was his fault. For the, for the opening goal. So they're two players, really, that had massive opportunities. Endo yesterday with McAllister suspended on Sunday and Simicast to say, right, that left-back spot is mine. But neither of them took that opportunity. 
And there were there were other problems, of course there were, but those two really were at the root of where it went wrong for Liverpool yesterday for me. And I just don't think Liverpool have really recovered from the first goal, given that the first 15 minutes of that second half, I thought they were totally unrecognisable, even with the substitutions from Liverpool at all this season. So, without trying to dig out individuals, do you think Endo and Simicast were at the heart of the issues yesterday? Yeah, I mean, when Endo has had his good games, I don't think I've been kind of as as high on him as other people have been. I'm not going to, you know, be as low on him this time. I, I don't think he was horrendous or anything like that. I just think that, you know the mistimed challenges are obviously quite telling and he was very fortunate to stay on the pitch. I think he was almost helped by the fact that he was so apologetic every time he made a foul that he kind of <laughs> yeah. managed to stay in the referee's good books. But um, yeah, I think, to be honest, um, it, it's it's a relief that Liverpool weren't playing with 10 men given the, the standards that they were playing at yesterday because it, it could have been quite ugly, um, to be honest. And I actually think that, with obviously Gavin Birch having that slight fitness concern um, at the moment, I think there's a decent chance that Saba Sly plays the number six at, at the weekend, um, given that he's kind of had one or two matches there. I think he played their second half against Wolves, for example. Um, I think that's a, a decent possibility because Endo, you know, it was there for them to, even if he put in a half-decent performance, I think he would have, you know, taken the spot. But um, based on how it went for them, it, it's kind of, Slightly hard to see him starting now, which given Liverpool have such a short such a midfield options at the moment with with injuries, um, you know, it, it was the bar was was fairly low for him, and I don't think he's managed to clear it, unfortunately. Um, and I suppose it does show, like like you know, like Steve said in that um in that tweet that you mentioned, it, it does show why he hasn't been playing more often, unfortunately, and maybe points to the transfer need that needs to be addressed in January. I think. We were excited to see Alexis McAllister play as a number eight, but he wasn't really impressive, unfortunately. I think, in fairness to him, I liked his contribution to Jota's goal. Um, yeah. A little bit of play there, but I don't think I liked anything else that he did, unfortunately, on the night. Um, so I think for him, it's looking increasingly... I think Mark made this point a few podcasts ago. It's looking a bit of a blessing that he's playing number six at the moment because if he wasn't playing there, I'm not sure he'd be getting into the team as a left-sided number eight. He's just... Um, He's not found it just yet, Liverpool. Costa Simakas, I've defended him on this podcast a couple of times. You know, people have been quite critical of him on Twitter all season. Can't really defend him on the back of last night. I think he's having, admittedly, a poor campaign. I think he's better than he's showing. I think people are sort of projecting his current form onto his whole career, where I think, generally speaking, he has been a very good sign. I think it was still justified to give him a new contract based on what we've seen. Whether this new system suits him or not, I'm not sure. But I think, generally speaking, he's just in poor form. And I, I agree with you, Chris, that Joe Gomez should start against Brentford on that basis at the weekend. Um, I thought Gomez was one of the few players who was probably a, a 5 out of 10 or above yesterday. And that's not necessarily a big compliment, but I think he, he looked okay. I'd give him the game. I think he's looked kind of... He's got some of the best aerial stats in the league as well. And we know how Brentford play. So you'd be more sort of comfortable with it from that standpoint as well. Um, so yeah, I'm just in terms of, I mean, they were the individuals that I kind of had noted down on, on my sheet here, really, in terms of who to kind of mention it as particularly problematic performances. But like you say, Chris, it's not one where you kind of want to be maybe digging out individual players because it was so poor across the board. I mean, do you have concerns with the attitude that Liverpool showed last night as well? I think 
In terms of the attitude, I mean, the opening was just so kind of dominant that I did wonder, certainly when Toulouse started to get a handle of things, because there was a period where before half-time and after half-time, Liverpool couldn't touch the ball. Certainly in the build-up to the first goal, and again, uh, the second goal, which was fully merited from Toulouse. And again, there's a decision in the middle of all that when Dalinga does score his first of the two. And again, that's one of them where you're like, mm, not overly sure on that, but you can just about maybe pass it. I just wonder as well, you know, when I talk about like the dose of reality and that Joe Cole said 5-1 win over Toulouse, that Liverpool, it's the wrong competition for Liverpool. If they were in the Champions League, we'd be talking about if they could win it. Dose of reality is that Liverpool are in the Europa League because they deserve to be in the Europa League. And the players should accept that and treat every game with the same importance. And I'm looking at Jurgen Klopp as well here because this is a point that I maybe should have made a little bit earlier, but when I saw the lineup, I thought a bit too rotated for my eyes. I just thought there's still a job to do here because now it's, now it's become the case where Liverpool might have to win their last two games to guarantee finishing top of the group or at least get four points because there's obviously a better head-to-head against Toulouse. Um, but that is now an unnecessary thing. Whereas winning yesterday, combined with the last win over Saint-Gerois, would have meant winning the group with two games to spare, and it would have been a really easy last, you know, coast to, to the finish line of the group. So Liverpool have now put a bit of an unnecessary pressure on themselves because I'm pretty sure Klopp would would really have wanted to go overly strong against Lask and, and SG in the final two games, but it, it might be a thing that he has to do now. And again. I, I like Doak. I like Ben Doak. I think he's got a lot of potential. But again, yes, the good start, but struggled when the team started to struggle. Um, I think Gapo looked off it. Um, I have to say he's a little bit in between at the moment. Um, Matip, again, I think he's meandering towards the end of his Liverpool career. And even Kelleher, look, Kelleher's a great goalkeeper. And I think he's a very, very good number two goalkeeper. But you sometimes get reminded about the gap between him and Allison that I think a lot of people need to realise. And I think you saw that at times last night. So, again, right to say overall performance was poor, but I agree that Jurgen Klopp, again, I just thought he rotated a bit too much yesterday. And the attitude, I think a few people, a few players needed reminded, look, you're in the Europa League because you finished fifth over the course of a full season last year. So suck it up and battle for it because teams aren't going to give you an early ride. I've Liverpool are favourites for this Europa League. Let's not make any bones about it. But I've said a couple of times, say Liverpool get to the last stages, of course, there'd be teams that drop out of the Champions League. And one name I keep coming back to, Bayer Leverkusen look incredible this season. And I Liverpool should be looking to win this competition as a, at least a fallback for anything that goes wrong in the league. And, it's a, and the attitude needs to improve as it goes on in this competition. Yeah, I mean, as it stands, if we have a just quick run through, teams projected to drop into the Europa League playoff round, Galatasaray, um, Lons in France, Braga, Salzburg, Feyenoord, AC Milan, probably the strongest, Red Star and Shakhtar um, at the moment. Obviously, that can change quite a little bit before the end of the group. I think that one, that one obviously with Newcastle in that group and even Man United's group as well. Um, you're looking at some you know they're probably kind of the strongest groups in terms of who, who could who could go at the moment. And um, 
I think it's a, a wake up call for Liverpool. I agree with you, and I think as well, it, it's a sign that obviously to lose are a poor team, but if you get into those knockout stages and you approach it with any arrogance or complacency, you're going to get knocked out. And I think we've seen that happen multiple times. You think down the years, you know, the likes of Arsenal, Man United going out to Sporting, Olympiacos, you know, Sevilla. Um, Tottenham got knocked out by Dinamo Zagreb, I think, and this is all just the last few years. Um, and I think it's because they go in and they think, oh, we've got this in the bag. Um, and you've got to shake yourself out of that mindset if you want to win this competition. So hopefully that was um, what Liverpool needed as a bit of a jolt. And I also think that reading Klopp's comments from the game, it just was this really uncomfortable throwback to to what we saw last season, not only in terms of performance and, and the problems that we saw, but also the attitude, um, which was too often an issue last year. So it has to be an isolated incident. I mean, we said after the game against Luton that this was a chance to respond in some ways. Obviously, Liverpool haven't taken it. And now they've got this crucial game against Brentford at the weekend um, where they absolutely have to sign off for the international break on a positive note. Otherwise, you're going to be really worried all of a sudden after kind of feeling. I think after that game against Forest, it was probably the best we felt all season. And then, it, the, you know, the wheels have, have come off a little bit since. Unfortunately, obviously, barring that um, win against Bournemouth with that goal from Nunez. But how concerned are you, Chris, about these two results? Because, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Liverpool, three points off top in the Premier League, still in a very strong position in this group. I don't think there's any question marks about whether they're going to progress or anything like that. Um, and they should still be top of the group as well. And, you know, obviously they've got a really good chance to, to win the League Cup as well. It's one of them where, again, if you'd gone back to the start of the season and said we'd be in this position coming up towards the November international break, everyone would have taken that. But do you think that we can't just focus too much on the wider context and we have to look at those two performances and think those are exposing issues within this team? They, they definitely are. They definitely are. Um, I think the, the concern would really kick in if the result against Brentford was bad, I think, because then you've got two weeks to linger on it with Manchester City away coming up at 12.30 after the break with the likelihood that Diaz might miss out, McAllister might miss out, Nunez might miss out. Although you'd imagine, given the severity of the game and Klopp talked about the improved travel that they might get, you know, just set it back to Liverpool as quick as possible. Um, Allison as well, of course. So I think concern for me happens over a long period of time, but issues have undoubtedly been highlighted. Um, I mean, against Luton, it was the finishing, and against Toulouse, it was the defending. So it's not as if one set of things have been highlighted as issues. Like both ends of the pitch have now been highlighted as issues in the last two games against opposition that really should have been beaten on both occasions. And I don't think it's disrespectful to either team to say that. So it's about obviously doing or putting things right with the squad at the disposal as well right now. And how easy is that? Again, Brentford are a very good side. After they lost to Everton, I thought after after how well everyone was talking about them, they actually had a really poor start to the season. But you look at their last three, comprehensive win over Burnley, very good win at Chelsea, which took them a bit of a playground for them now, Stamford Bridge. Um, and a bit of luck needed against West Ham, but it was a second-half bombardment from Brentford in that game. And they've now come into this game on really good form. They're a side that, for me, I would have liked to have seen take the League Cup a bit more seriously because they're one of those teams that I just don't think they're 
certainly this season, there were never going to be any threat of going down. And I would have liked to have seen them go for a trophy. They might go for the FA Cup, for example. Um, but they're playing so well. That's about Ivan Tony. And Burma was brilliant. Wissa compliments him so much. More pay is now finding a way to be impressive in this team. So that just tells you how well Thomas Frank has got them playing. And this is about Rico Henry as well, by the way, who I think on his day is such an underrated fullback. I think he's fantastic. So they've not they've got their issues themselves, but they're still playing really good football under a manager that, that, that they trust so much. And it was a really tight game in Anfield last year. Brentford, I think it was 3-0 in, in their first season in the Premier League. But then, the, look, the games at the GTEC have been horrific for Liverpool. Last year was really tight to Anfield as well. I think the ball was only in play about 40-odd minutes or something because they, they just tried to slow the game down so much. I think it might be a bit more free-flowing this time because I think that's what Brentford are more used to. But it's a game where, again, Liverpool are facing a very, very, very good side. And if attitude is even a little bit down, they will get punished. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it's one of them where it's almost it, it's a good it's a good fixture for Liverpool to have after after Toulouse. Not because it, it's easy in it by any means, but I think that it demands a, an, an elevation of standards because Brentford are one of those teams where even if they don't have a squad that's oozing in quality, if they play against a top side that shows any kind of you know weakness or it's susceptible to being bullied in any way, they're going to make that felt basically, um, as Liverpool have seen in the past. So I think it's it's one of them where you'd obviously expect Liverpool to win still, but they need to be they need to raise their standards significantly to do so. In terms of my concern levels, I think the way I'd sort of sum it up is, you know, if we kind of compare this season to last season, I don't want to be kind of too downhearted at the moment because we've still made big strides in terms of where we're at um, and things are still a lot rosier overall. Um, I think Liverpool need to do a bit of business in January. I think it, there was a period where that looked like that might be a bit of a luxury to bring in players in January, but I think maybe the past couple of games have showed you that now it's it's really important to do that. Um, and uh, I'd also say that games like Luton and games like last night are acceptable as a one-off. The problem is when they come back to back. And I know there were a lot of changes yesterday. And I know that there was significantly different lineups with those two matches. But I said at the start, to lose a one point above the relegation places in, in France, like you should be able to make, you know, 11 changes, never mind eight or whatever it was, and still get the job done against them. So, yeah, I think it's been. Like you say, Chris, it's been a it's been a step back the past couple of games. It's been a little bit of a reality check in terms of where this team is at and its development. And now, as much as it is a cliche, all you can ask for is for them to go and deliver the response on Sunday afternoon against Brentford. Because if they aren't able to win that game, then I think you are going to be really, really worried, especially going going into what is one of the most important games all season as well. I just wonder with January. I wouldn't if it. I mean, obviously, we've seen the reports this week. Uh, we'll talk about Andre. He's gone and achieved the biggest thing he has in his career. And then how would how would he, how would he feel if Liverpool just turned around and went, "Oh, you've just gone and won the Copa Libertadores." We, we, we're not looking at you anymore. <laughs> I think that would be a kick in the teeth for both player and club, really, because again, I'm not saying I'm an expert on him, but I just think everything I've heard, everything I've seen, all the stats I've seen, he just looked like he'd fit like a glove, but. We have seen it's looking 
for some reason more unlikely now, which is a little bit bonkers for me. Yeah, and I think that is obviously the the position that that does need to be addressed in January, really, just based on the fact that McAllister is clearly a, a flawed solution there and Matara Wendo, based on what we've seen, isn't off the level to be a sort of consistent Premier League start of Liverpool. So it's it's pretty clear, really, what, what needs to be done. And hopefully Liverpool are still in a strong enough position when they get to January that that's something that can kind of drive them forward rather than just trying to undo some damage that's already been done. But we will see what happens. Anyway, we'll leave it there for today's podcast. Thanks very much, Chris, for joining me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back after the weekend's game against Brentford for our next episode, obviously the last one before that international break. So make sure you join us for that, where hopefully Liverpool will deliver a much improved performance and results. So we will see you then.